Welcome to episode 21 of All Us Geeks. I'm Jeff King. I'm Michael Jordal. And I'm Jordan Steinhoff. And we're here to give voice to your inner geek. That's right. Michael's back. Yay. Halfway here. Halfway here. All right. So a few things I wanted to cover. We got our first donation. Just straight out donation. Thank you, Bill. You're supposed to be anonymous donation. (laughs) If you find Bill... (laughs) <laughs> you've narrowed it down though to bill and a listener of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> that's that yeah that's a, narrow a bill that listens to this podcast yeah that's probably one sorry of the two people that listen to this podcast and then the rgc game day is march 23rd which i have a conflict now <laughs> so jordan jordan will be representing us no, I don't think I will. I thought you said you were I thought you already said you were going. I thought I was, but and I can't remember what. Oh, March twenty third. March. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. I think Mike threw me a curveball because he said Feb. No, it's March was March twenty third. March is Feb twenty third is the weekend we're going to the Warhammer tournament. March twenty third. So far that's doable. Yeah. I think I can maybe go to I don't know, see. So we might have some representation there. I won't be there though. It is Megan's grandmother's hundredth birthday celebration. Kind of think I should go to that. Probably gonna have to go to that. <laughs> I don't know. You hit ninety nine. Yeah, I did hit ninety. I actually said that. I was like, I made it to ninety nine. <laughs> That's what she said too. On March second, there's gonna be a tournament up in the cities too. Mm. That or up in the cities. This one uh, at Tower Games. So I might go to that okay. instead. So, who do we have with us today? Hey, I'm Philip Dubarry. Philip is here. We're going to talk about uh, a little bit about what Philip has uh, designed game-wise and a project he's got coming up. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about prototyping and playtesting. Uh, so, for all of uh, you indie designers that I know listen, this will be a good episode probably for you. But to start off with, let's talk to Philip a little bit here. Let's get to know Philip. Philip, you run fantasiogames.com, correct? Yeah, that's right. right. So that's your uh, your main hub where people can find out more about you and uh, what you've got uh, in the pipeline, right? Right. All right. So we got a few questions that we usually ask some of our guests. Okay. First of all, what makes you a geek? <laughs> well, the whole board game thing is uh, is it gets you uh, pretty far there. My uh, obsessive love of Star Wars. Woot. And um, I don't know, probably several other things, uh, classical music that might just be making me a nerd. I'm not sure. <laughs> it depends on, uh, you know, a fan of technology and all. So I don't know. I think I qualify. Excellent. Yep. We'll let you stay. <laughs> all right. So then uh, the other question we tend to ask is, uh, what do you do for a living besides uh, designing games? In general, it doesn't have to be like specific. I am the uh, children's pastor at Addison Baptist Church. So that's what I, so that's maybe another reason why I'm a geek too. I'm also kind of a theology geek. Why did you not warn me? <laughs> Has this gentleman never ever listened to me on our podcast? I have nothing to say now. 
I apologize. I can... <laughs> that I is that is homework. that is actually awesome because one of the reasons that we started the uh, what do you do for a living thing was to try to show that there are different types of geeks and different uh, you know come from all walks of life. And unfortunately, we had a very long run of programmers. And <laughs> <developers>. <laughs> Not only IT that. people, IT people that actually worked at the local IBM hub. It was very repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, a lot of our friends are in the same line of work that Jordan and I are in. <laughs> so that is awesome. So some background here for Philip. You designed Revolution that got picked up by Steve Jackson Games several years ago, correct? That's right. And off and on, you've done some expansion work for that game through Steve Jackson? Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah, we have uh, one, one expansion now. One expansion, okay. And then uh, let's see here. So it looks like you did some work off and on for, for that for a while, and then in 2012 you kind of busted out with a few other things. Yeah, that's so you, right. So you got yeah, we spent most of 2011 working on the Kingdom of Solomon, right? Which got released in 2012 by yeah. Min, by Minion, right? Minion Games. Mm-hmm. So I got to ask you. I mean, let's start off with that. How did that feel? Um, I mean, you'd been working on Revolution for so long, and then uh, were you off and on working on ideas for Kingdom of Solomon, or was it something that just well, kind of came to you? I think what what happened was um, I had the the idea for Revolution in about uh, 2007 or something like that. So I worked on that for a long time, and then um, I guess spring 2008, they uh, the Steve Jackson people got in touch with me, and we sort of worked all that out, and then um, still kept working on that till they released it the next year. Although I didn't really have to do as much on that game as some of the other games, so I got off kind of easy on my first one. But then after that, I just I it occurred to me that maybe, you know, maybe I might be kind of good at this and I should probably try to do some more games. And so I spent a lot of 2008 and 2009 thinking of new games to do. And so one of those was the Kingdom of Solomon game. And uh, then at Origins, I, I shopped all those around and uh, some of them are still feeling their way through the system. And uh, and then, of course, I've been working on more since then. Right. So how did that feel then? I mean, you got Kingdom of Solomon picked up and, and now are you like, hey, I'm justified in this? Right. Yeah. I, I That's what I take it to be. Uh, <laughs> especially now, you know, a couple other titles under my belt. So, Right. So let's uh, your your most recent one is Cordier, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was with AEG in their Tempest line. Right. Which actually, uh, that's, I've got it sitting out in the living room, hopefully to play. Uh, we, uh, are hoping to do at least two episodes covering the Tempest line. So, so again, how, I mean, you, so you went from kingdoms, kingdoms of Solomon and then in the same year towards the end of the year, you did Courier, but I'm assuming you were uh, working on both for a while, kind of at the same time. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another company had the, uh, the other game, uh, the, well, what it was before Courier was called Henry the Great. And then we went, I went to, um, I guess Gen Con. Uh, after it didn't work out with them and uh, I met up with um, the AEG folks and they said, boy, this is, this is this perfect for our Tempest, you know, line of games. And I, they had not said anything about that to anybody. And so I was like, what's that? And so, you know, they just had all these different characters and things. And my game just has all kinds of characters in it. Not that you know a whole lot about them, but uh, they're all in there. And so it was really easy for them to kind of port that into their stuff that they had already figured out. 
Excellent. And again, and so how, I mean, how did that feel to have these guys kind of take a look at your game, take an interest in your game and say, Hey, yeah, we can definitely do something. Oh yeah. yeah, That was fantastic. I mean, (laughs) did you, did you have to shop all your games? Uh, was Steve Jackson your first, uh, your first, first, or did that get you a bit of cred and then you were recognized? I showed them a couple of games, but they have a very, you know, specific sort of game that they're looking for. And it took me a little while to kind of pick up on everybody's idea of what game they're looking for. And every, every company's got a little bit different couple of games that they, they want to see. And, uh, but once you figure that out, then you know a little bit better about who to go to with what and how to pitch it to them and, and make it something that they could actually make a decision about instead of just looking at it and saying, well, that's, that may be nice and cute, but that's not what we do. Uh, I hear you correctly. You've got a you've got a few more games that are kind of out there in the atmosphere. That yeah, that's could potentially right. be yep. picked up. Right, I've got yeah a couple of different things here and there, and some stuff I've done since then, and so I've got stuff in several different stages of of the the trip down the pipeline. So you want to go ahead and dispel the myth uh, some of the indie uh, game designers have? That are, are you a rock star? You can quit your day job now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not quite not quite like that yet. <laughs> um, I'm still waiting for that to happen, you know. So not that I want to quit my job, but that, uh, you know, they can. And I don't know, I'm, I'm still under the, uh, the perhaps false impression that if I can get enough of these games going, you know, eventually there might be some sort of traction to that. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens, but it's definitely not an easy thing. And, um, it's probably one of those things that after I've, you know, completely killed myself, then finally maybe something will happen. (laughs) Before we get to, uh, your upcoming game that you wanted to talk about, uh, you want to go ahead and do the geeking out topic with us? Sure. That's fine. So our geeking out topic, again, uh, Philip is going to uh, lead us through a little conversation about uh, prototyping and playtesting. So of the three of us here, two of us have kind of hobby, hobby-wise hobby designed games of our own and kind of play uh, internally, you know, with, with friends and some conventions and stuff like that or game days that we have here. But uh, we're not really looking, at least at this time, to expand out much past that. So tell us why uh, taking the game straight from our head on onto uh, whatever we produce it on and saying we're good is is not good enough. <laughs> well, I guess we're so we're sort of talking about prototyping. You know, how do you get it from your head down to something, and uh, what what's sort of appropriate? Actually, that that is the first step. You know, is just to just to get it out there, and to uh, uh, I always start making just a couple of pages worth of notes. Some people um, do it a little bit differently. And there's always kind of an argument about, well, should you start with the theme or the mechanics first? Which way should you? And really the answer is you can, you can do either one or, you know, you can kind of mix them. Whatever kind of strikes your fancy, that's the way it works with me. Some people, are their mind just sort of works more towards the mechanics side of the equation and some just more naturally work towards the, the theme. That's what gets them excited about it. So it doesn't really matter which way you start. And then the first goal is just to get something down, get some whatever scraps of paper and uh, whatever kind of little doodads here and there that you're going to use for your components. You're just trying to see if there is something there that that may work and on some level that's kind of fun. Now, at, at this point, I've I've done this several different times now. And so 
when you get a little better at it and you, you're pretty sure that you've got an idea that's worth exploring a little, a little way. Um, I go ahead and set up, you know, some, like if I'm doing some cards or something, I'll go ahead and do it on the computer and just put some stuff in. And usually I can knock those out pretty quickly. And I'm not like making them look the most beautiful cards ever, but you know, they're functional, especially if there's like colors and stuff. You, sometimes you do have to put something or some, some kind of symbols or something just to make it work. And then you want to get that played as, you know, as that's what you play first. And you want to play with, you, you know, do have that first session there, just, just you doing it by yourself, unless, you know, you got kids or something that don't, they don't care what they play and they're, they're willing to play with you. That's fine. Then once it's good enough for, once it's good enough for you, then you can kind of take it up a notch and you'll know a couple of things that you probably want to change. You can probably prepare on throwing out your whole prototype several times during the process. So that's why you don't want to spend too much time making it look too nice. But then you want to get to a point where you actually have something that's good enough to show other people, like other real adults that, you know, care about their time and that sort of thing. So you don't want to just throw them into, unless, again, unless they're a designer and they just love it or whatever. So like, you know, my friends or something, I'm not just going to throw some game that I've never played before usually onto them. I'm going to, I'm going to try them with something that, that I pretty well think sort of works. And so then, then you can play it with them. And if it still works and maybe you've made some refinements, whatever, then it's time to make it look a little nicer after you figured out, well, it sort of works. And then your goal is, your goal is to try to attract some other people to play it and people that maybe aren't your friends or that are wider out in your circle of acquaintances. And so to do that, I think it's, it's important to make your prototype look a little bit nicer at that point. Now you're still going to have to be prepared to throw it all away or write all over it or whatever. That's just kind of part of it. But then that, I guess that sort of takes us into the whole playtesting kind of thing. So on the, on the prototype side a little bit, and, and you've done a little bit of talk of playtesting. It's just more like a self or a immediate. You know, your immediate circle or whatever you want to call it, playtesting just to get the ideas out. And I've kind of gone through that too. I think almost every time I've gone, what happens in my head and what comes down to the game mm-hmm. don't always work together. Yeah, I find that's true as well. It's just, unfortunately, my fiance suffers through those first <laughs> initial tests with me. You go through the process of, putting it on the computer and and getting some type of graphics with it instead of just like cutting up index cards or something like that or I mean, is that usually i i just my, me personally like especially if it's cards or something i found that it's quicker to to you know cuz you can cut and paste and all pretty quick on the computer as opposed to actually sitting out and writing you know 108 different cards and stuff yeah. so it's just it is actually quicker for me and it's a little bit neater. And plus, later on, when I go in, if, if it actually works, I can go in and say, oh, I've already got this all laid out. Now I can just make it look a little nicer here and there. And it actually ends up saving me a little bit of time. So now uh, you've got a prototype that you've gone through a, a bit of a small play testing just with yourself and our immediate circle to kind of get it fleshed out enough to say, hey, there's a good game here. Or, or I think there's a good game here. It's time mm-hmm. to see if other people think there's a good game here. So now you're going to take us away. So how do you go from that 
you, you pretty it up and now you're going to take it into play testing side of things. Okay. So then hopefully you've got, uh, you know, a couple of uh, board game groups that you, you know, or, or some acquaintances that are actually board game type people, which is, is important. You know, you don't just want to prototype this with cousins that you, you know, they don't really care about board games anyway. You need to have some people that are playing board games lots. And so they're going to recognize immediately, oh, this doesn't work. Or, hey, why don't you try this mechanic from such and such game? It works a lot better. Or, boy, this looks a lot like such and such and you've never heard of it before. That's the kind of stuff that you want. So that's like maybe local groups. And, you know, this could be going to conventions and stuff. And um, if you want to get a little more serious about it, I guess the next step up is to start collecting people. And I've sort of got this big uh, sort of digital Rolodex of, of different people that I've identified that seem to, you know, like my games okay and they're cool people to talk to and um, they respond back to my emails every once in a while. <laughs> and so, and but they're, they're you know, really good at, uh, at playtesting and at, at playing games. They have a good sense about that and are willing to, in some cases, even print stuff out themselves which that's that's really good if you can find some people like that. But otherwise, you probably have to maybe email them some stuff or send them some stuff or, um, I don't know, probably at the beginning, you probably will be mailing some stuff to some people or get on Board Game Geek and, and uh, just find some people with some similar tastes or people that you've interacted with before and or at conventions, you know, write people's names down or exchange cards or something. So that's that's like what I do next. I've got this group of people that I've, I'm continually developing, and uh, they help me tremendously. And sometimes even they'll they'll record things for me while they're playing, or they will um, uh, they'll let me call them and we can talk about it sometimes. And uh, that's been just invaluable. So at this point, or do you not at any point in in your process have like a formal feedback form? Well, that's, that is probably something that I should uh, maybe eventually have. I know Game Salute has worked a lot on, on that and they're kind of refining their process about that. That's probably maybe the next step after even where I am is, uh, you know, I'm still not quite all the way there yet. I think that could be important. I think that's more important for when you're going to be talking to like lots and lots of people that you don't know. Which is another important phase, you know, you really do need to get your game in front of people that have never seen it before, they don't have you to help them with it, that's the blind playtesting part. And that happens a little bit further down, I think. But yeah, I think, you know, a feedback form could be helpful, but you know, sometimes it's a, a little bit not as specific as what I need, or a little bit redundant, or so I, I've not quite, every once in a while I've done something like that, but I've not quite been able to, to make that work every time. And right now you're you're talking about. I mean, you've built up, you've built up a network of individuals that you know are going to give you valuable feedback versus just saying, "Yeah, it was good" or "This, this right. was cool," that kind of stuff. Where you're actually going to get some serious feedback out of it. Right. And I think where the form probably comes in better is if you are, like you said, dealing with people you don't really know, or people that don't understand what you're actually looking for out of it. Mm -hmm. And again, there's the whole. Well, I mean. We told you earlier we live in Minnesota, so you know the for us the, it's called Minnesota nice, uh -huh. where, where nobody wants to tell you anything negative to your face. <laughs> oh, I will. Well, you're not 
you're not I'm not strictly native, native <laughs> neither am I, but you know, some of us pick it up after a while. I yeah, know. sometimes you have to sometimes you have to get after people that, that, that do that to you. You know, you have to push them a little bit. So this is your uh, first round of play testing. So this is uh this is the spot where you're going to go back and, and refine and look over uh, the feedback and see if there's some, some valuable stuff out of there that you can make changes to. Mm-hmm. How many times are you going to go through that before you, you think, okay, uh, do you have a number that you say, okay, I'm going to do this three, four times or you just keep kind of going until the feedback lessens. And then you go to uh okay, now I'm ready for complete strangers to try this out. Right. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. You just sort of have to, feel like it's it's where you want it to be it's what you expected so yeah i'm not sure there's a a set number um that you know it's gonna be the magic number or whatever so let me ask you this then uh for from your perspective from your process how long do you usually spend on a game from say concept to all right i've gone through the blind play testing and i think i'm solid let me start shopping this around do you have a set time or is it going to vary vary by game or yeah well it does vary by game and it varies by like you know how complicated of a game is it and sometimes it varies just by how long it takes me to shop it around because if you know if i have trouble shopping it around then it's still going to be sitting around and i'm going to be tweaking it and still working on it and making other people play it you know the entire time that it's 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 with me so yeah it uh i would say um probably somewhere between the six to nine month range. I would say that's probably what it was for most games. I know some indie designers that are like constantly trying to design, like they, they feel like they're not doing well if they're not, they can't get a uh, kick a game out within a, a, a month and, <laughs> and then move on to the next thing. And then I know some other people that kick themselves that have been working on things for a year or more and yeah. and feel like they're not going anywhere. And I just think it, you know, uh, yeah. Kind of like you said, it's just going to depend on the game. and Yeah, I, I definitely feel like you can do it too soon, although there's something to be said for, you know, getting it together and just, just going with it. And, you know, maybe maybe if people are interested in just what the little you've done so far, then maybe that's a good reason to continue on. And maybe maybe some other company can can finish it and do the rest of the work or whatever. But yeah, and then you can definitely, you know, work on something too long, I think, maybe. You know, you get to where you you're not putting shine on anymore you're actually starting to you know rub off the the metal you're starting to you know kind of mess up the thing you're, you're polishing it up right you just it's not going to get any shinier right you just kind of start overthinking it at some point again you know unless unless you know this is like some kind of just this is the best game ever and <laughs> you know this is you're just in the groove and it's going to be done when it's done i mean i can i can see that happening but i think most people you know by that time, you don't need to put in more than that much time without knowing that some that some publisher is going to be interested in this. And so I think that's a consideration, too. And because the publisher, no matter how much playtesting you do, how much polish you put on it, a publisher is going to come in and they're going to sort of redo all of that if they're worth their salt. And they're going to, uh, you know, they're going to blind test it and they're going to have their own recommendations about it. And they're going to, of course, obviously completely overhaul all the graphics and everything. And maybe even some theme tweaks or whatever, and that's going to entail some different changes, and and so uh, so that's a whole other process, which by the way takes about another year. All right, so let's take it back a little bit. Let's uh, you've gone through all of your stuff, you've gotten it ready. How do you go about finding 
blind play testers? I mean, do you have already groups set up? You say, this is a group I'm not going to show it to until whatever, or do you have a process that you go through to try to find new blind play testers? Well, I guess I have to say that I don't really do a lot of blind play testing. And it's something that you probably should do. It's more useful in some places than others, I think. Like if I'm pretty well sure that I like a game the way it is, then I'm probably going to stop and I'm not going to worry about the blind play testing. However, sometimes, you know, I'll take it to, uh, I'll just go into a, like a game store or whatever, or a group or something that's local and, you know, people I, I may know sort of, but not very much or whatever. And I'll just, usually I won't just dump it on them and say, all right, you read the rules and tell me what you think. But I'll give them a little bit of hint, but then I'll kind of step back and try to see if they can work it out. So every once in a while, I'll do that. But really, a lot of that happens, I think, at the publisher level. And um, so definitely, if you're thinking about self-publishing, you can't skip that step. You have to get in there and do that. Or if maybe, you know, you're still trying to develop a little bit more of your sense of, is this going to work? How is this going to work? What kind of level of game is this? I could see where some blind testing may may help you out. So just from your personal experience, once you've shopped it and you've been, you know, you've come to terms with, you know, Steve Jackson, AEG, whoever, at that point, how involved do you remain in the development? Are you, uh, are you just then handing over a product for them to work with? Do you consult uh, or are you happy to just walk away at that point? How, how involved do you stay? Well, I've uh, I've had several different experiences with that. Uh, Steve Jackson Games did pretty much everything. And every once in a while, they would send me an email saying, hey, this is what we did, or what do you think about this? But mostly, it just sort of uh, comes out the other end as a complete thing. And I had some say, and I I argued really hard with them to, to get that uh, variant rule in there, which was my original rule about the, the bid refunds. And they let me put that in or whatever. And, um, so I got a little bit of, a little bit of say, but not very much. But on the other hand, it was not very much work at all on my part either. And I didn't quite appreciate that at the time. But then with Kingdom of Solomon, Minion Games, and now it's, you know, Minion Games is, is doing very well now and has got several pr- very successful games. And there seems like they're coming on pretty strong, having good success on Kickstarter and all. But at the beginning, you know, in the 2008, 2009, you know, he's just starting out. So we had to do, we had to do everything. It was me and James and the artist who every once in a while contacted us and his, um, Clay Gardner, his kind of cleanup guy, which uh, does great work. And so we spent an entire year, like with daily, multiple times a day, emails back and forth saying, let's tweak this. What about this? What about this? What about this? And it was just a, an absolute slog, but, but I learned a whole lot while, while that was going on. And I learned about more about the inner workings of it. And well, publishers have to think about, you know, how much this is going to cost and what about this component and that component? Or what about, you know, all these specifications that you don't think of when you're designing the game? But on the other hand, I mean, it was a lot of work, but on the other hand, I had a, an enormous amount of input. And so, you know, I could, I could go and, you know, have my buddies play it and they'll say, well, really this and this and this need to change. And I can go back and say, all right, we've decided this and this and this are going to change. And James would be like, okay, that's fine. And so it, it ended up being a lot more me than, you know, the publisher. Not that he didn't have some really good ideas too. And definitely they, they helped me to, to shape that uh, for the better, but um, kind of all the way on the other side of the, of the spectrum. And then AEG is kind of 
they, uh, that was kind of in the middle. So I got quite a bit of uh, involvement in it, but they have kind of all this big machinery that's going on in the background, sort of going on its own and, and making things. They have, they actually have a really nice um, way that they play test. They have this big forum set up and all these little teams scattered all over the place. They were talking to me one day and they said, you know, you should go on the forums and look at the comments on your game. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so I went on there and there's like just, you know, tons of people talking about my game and this, this needs to change and this was good. And this, and uh, so I had to read through all that and, and made some notes and I said, well, I think this is right. And, and man sort of developed my own, own ideas about it and was able to have some say in, in the process. And yet, they really didn't have to do everything. So that, that was very satisfying. And so really, you know, there's good and bad parts about all of them. Uh, it sort of depends, I think, on the size of the company and, um, you know, just their philosophy. You talked a bit about getting the variant role in for Revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, have you ever had to let go of something that you thought was your baby so far? That you're like, I, I really, you know, it, it was hurtful for you to kind of see it. Really, the take out of a game. The only the only time that's happened is in a game that hasn't been published yet. Okay, and uh, it, it just happened not too long ago, and I'm not sure there's there's going to be some other some other things involved in it, and it may have to go to another publisher. I'm not sure, not not exactly for this reason, but for some unrelated reasons. It was sort of all these funny little shaped pieces that you're putting down. It's very geometric, and uh, the feedback was. People don't like this geometric kind of stuff. Make the little pieces simpler and make them bigger so there's not too many of them. And uh, I just love that thing. And it, and it really hurt me to take that out. But I did take it out and, and the game works. You know, it's still there a little bit, but it's way scaled back. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, you know, how true that is that people just hate that. It probably is true. But, but man, I it really did hurt to take that out. <laughs> So how how do you feel going through that process? And I mean, you, you've done it several times. You're, you're obviously doing it with a few other publishers. I mean, just in general, I mean, the, the kind of back and forth that you have to go. I know you, you kind of alluded to, well, you're getting some valuable feedback here and there, but are there times where you're just like, J enough is enough? <laughs> <laughs> well, you do get kind of frustrated. I mean, there's a lot of waiting involved and waiting for your game to get published. And there's a lot of, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's that's happening in the background. And uh, then there's, you know, other issues that come up. And there's all kinds of crazy things that happen. And and sometimes, you know, publishers just stop talking to you, and, you know, or uh, and won't answer your emails. or And so, yeah, that's very frustrating sometimes. I don't know if this is, I know I've got a, a couple of friends that are locked into a couple of contracts and had that happen where the uh, publisher just has kind of vanished on them, but they're still obviously locked into the contract. Have you ever had anything similar to that happen while you've been shopping stuff around? Well, no, nothing quite so bad. I did have this one game I gave to this this one company, and um, they, it seemed like they were fairly excited about it, but then it seems like they sort of got a lot less excited about it. And, yeah, so the emails kept being like, later and later and later and finally you know just now, to the point now where i can't even like talk to them at the convention i mean that's uh, it's like i don't know i don't know what happened <laughs> i've had uh, a game company lose my prototype for over a year and they actually sent it back after that year was over <laughs> so yeah i don't know stuff like that happens so when you get your uh, game to the point where you feel like it's what it needs to be 
and you really like it, and other people that like games like it, then you you want to go and take it to a publisher. So probably the way you want to do this. Now, of course, you can self-publish if you want to. The olden days, it was that meant you know a ton of money and lots of unsold games in your basement most of the time. And so it was an incredible risk. Now you have Kickstarter, so you could go that route. If you go the Kickstarter route, that is all about having lots and lots of uh, social media contacts and things like that. So just, just be aware of that. You can make that work. Or probably what you want to do is find a, a more established publisher. At least that's what I want to do, unless you want to be a publisher. See, I don't want to be a publisher, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I know that about myself. I do not want all of that stuff. I want to design games. That's the part I want to do. And so in order to do that, I need publishers to help do the other stuff. So if you've decided that's what you're going to do, the best way to go find publisher is to go to the conventions. So you want to go to Origins or Gen Con or both. And and it's just great because you can just go up to them and you can sometimes you can talk to them and introduce yourself. You probably won't be able to talk to them very long. Or you'll be, you'll maybe have to talk to some subordinates or whatever, but you know, you can, you can make some contacts and you can, you can find some people to talk to and you might find some people that would be interested enough to give you 10 minutes to look at your game. You're probably not going to get more than 10 minutes. And uh, so you have to be prepared with your, your prototype copy because they might say, well, just come right into this booth and set it up right now. They might say that, or they might say, well, meet me tomorrow at 1030 or something and they might not show up or but maybe they will usually they will but then you can show it to them and uh, you might have to show it to you know three or four or five ten different people and you know if they all reject you or whatever maybe that means your game is not quite what they need or maybe you just didn't approach the right companies um, you sort of have to reassess a little bit that's kind of a, a difficult thing and i know it, it's a little bit easier for me because i'm obviously i'm a little bit more established and people know me a little bit more but they didn't at the beginning even before, um, you know, even after Revolution came out, they're just like, you know, who are you? That that doesn't really, you know, that's not on our radar. And it was still kind of a challenge to do it. But I think that's that's what you need to do. Um, I spent some time sending people things in the mail and sending emails to people. And um, you can do that. But sending something to somebody that you don't know in the mail is... There's just very little chance that anything's going to come of that, unless you just have the best game ever, which, of course, I'm sure you think you do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be showing other people about it. But really, that's the the convention thing is so much better. I had thought, too, I had the idea of, well, maybe I need to enter some of these contests, you know, like and like the hippo dice and stuff like that. And maybe that would, you know, make people look at me and publishers will look at you. And, and it probably would. But... That is just a, a trouble and stuff like Courtier. Um, I actually did enter that into a hippo dice as Henry the Great, which was similar, not quite the same, but similar. And it didn't even make the cut. And so I was like, oh, great, whatever. But I show, I, I go to the, uh, you know, convention and I got one publisher to take it. And we made some changes. He actually made the game better, but he ultimately passed on it. But then, then this other publisher came along. So. And for me, that's that's been the way to do it. So here's a quick question for you then. For, for uh, some of our listeners that are maybe in the shopping around stage, we've got 
three games currently out that are under your belt that have been picked up by other publishers. You've got some other stuff in the works. How many times have you been rejected? <laughs> well, quite a few. I mean, walk, just walking around in the convention hall or whatever and um, saying, hey, you know, are you guys taking submissions? Are you looking at this? Does it sound interesting to you? And yeah, it's it's a very high rate of people saying no to you and saying no, not interested. There's a lot of a lot of uh, other things vying for their attention, and or you know trying to get people to do stuff. Yeah, you you have to work really hard at it, but and try not to be discouraged by all those no's because there are some yeses down down further along. And like you said earlier, at some point maybe you just reassess a little bit. And decide if there's some tweaking you have to do, or maybe it's time to shelf this and work on something else. But doesn't necessarily mean give it up outright just because a few people have said no. Sure. All right. So Philip is uh, also here to discuss a future project he's going to do on Kickstarter. I'm going to let you take it away, Philip, because I know your last email, you said there might be a couple changes from what I knew. So what is your future project and when do you think it'll hit Kickstarter? All right. Well, we have uh, a game called Family Vacation and it's by Jolly Roger Games. It will be going on Kickstarter, I hope, probably in two weeks from now. So like probably the end of February or maybe the beginning of March. It was supposed to be Actually, it was supposed to be the end of January, and then it was supposed to be, well, beginning of February, and there's been some delays, and actually there's been some family situations that have, have been difficult for, for some of us. So that's, there's been some delays, but I think, I think we'll, we'll be launching here pretty soon. At least that's what I hope. I, and I think it, it will be pretty soon. Anyway, Family Vacation is one of the first games I ever made, actually, after Revolution. And I got the idea from it from just driving down the road on vacation. And, you know, you're looking at all those signs and trying to figure out where you're going to stop. And, you know, is everybody hungry or are they, is somebody crying? Or is it, I have, you know, I have four children and another one on the way. And so Family Vacation, it's like, you know, a big deal. And it's lots, all kinds of logistics and everything. And so I thought, you know, this would be an interesting game, maybe, you know, to go around the country and try and get your family to stay happy and to do things that they want to do and then go back home. And so that's pretty much what you do in the game. You have the, you have this little board in front of you with uh, four family members. You have a mom and dad and two kids, and they have this chart from uh, one all the way to 20. And that tells you how happy they are at any given point. And you got a little car that's on the board. And so all you do on your turn is you move your little car one space. And so because that's how simple it is, this game is for everybody, for uh, children or people who don't play board games, you know, your relatives and stuff. Or, But it's also got several very important um, strategy sort of elements to it and lots of uh, interesting decisions so that uh, people who are more experienced gamers will also enjoy it. So, for example, when you go on a road space, you're going, everybody in your, your family is going to lose one happiness because it's boring to be on the road. But then when you get to a city, uh, each family member has two uh, random interests that they like to do. So it might be like uh, golf and shopping, or it might, you know, your kid might like the beach and wildlife or something like that, or nature or something. And then, uh, so you need to try to find 
places on the, the board where those activities can be found. And then uh, if you do that, those family members will be happier and other family members will be a little bit happy for it too. While you're doing that though, there's a hometown that you start at and each hometown is sort of linked to three special little um, attractions that you want to go to. So maybe you want to go to the Statue of Liberty and the Golden Gate Bridge or something like that. And so if you go to those places, you'll get uh, bonus points at the end of the game. Uh, you also get bonus points if you go to Canada or Mexico. Yeah. Right. There you go. <laughs> and um, you also get bonus Negative. points if you take pictures. And there's several different picture places like picture tokens. And this is sort of like a geometric points kind of thing. The more of them you have, then the more they're worth. And um, and then finally, there are some cards that you can, you can get sort of like event cards, adventure cards, where if you go on a, a spot that somebody else has already been on or, or a hometown spot, you would take one of those. And most of them are good. But some of them are bad. And some of them have uh, some extra little side missions, little side trips that you can go on. One of them, you even pick up a hitchhiker for a little while and get some bonus points if you can take him to Denver. And so a couple of different uh, cards like that. And so then um, if somebody has got has done at least one of those big uh, attraction places, then they can go back home. And you can really go back home at any time you want after that point. And then that starts a countdown. So then everybody else has seven turns to get back home or uh, to do as much as they can in the game. Meanwhile, everybody who is home is getting one point of happiness for all their people per turn until the game's over. Then when it's finished, you have up all your happiness and all your bonus points, and the person who's had the best vacation is the winner. Nice. So this is uh, this is something that you've been working on, what sounds like, what, like four-plus years? Or? Yeah, well, off and on, yeah. Yeah? This this has gotten a lot of playtesting and, uh, and and a lot of nice revisions to it, and so I feel pretty good about it. Are you going to be super thematic in this and make the actual travel edition to play in the car? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't thought about that, but I suppose that could be a possibility. Stretch goal, I, stretch goal. <laughs> <laughs> I do have, we do have uh, some some interesting stretch goals that you you mentioned that though. Our goal is uh, twelve thousand, I think, and um, I think at fifteen thousand, maybe it's uh, there's some extra cards that are more like a take that kind of cards to them that you, you can add that element to the game if you like. But then when we get uh, a little bit farther along, if we make it up to twenty or twenty five thousand, there's the Europe version. That will be included with the game. So it's like a whole other map, maybe on the other side of the board and some new, even some new components and things. So that you kind of get two games in one, really, if, if we reach that level, uh, where that's got trains and some ferries and some other things, uh, in it. And, um, if we get further than that, I actually have a, a China map, then another map that is yet to be named after that. If, if, you know, people really get into it. Canada. Um, <laughs> the Canada map, that, that could be. Um, be terrible. Follow the only road. <laughs> but I, I think it's it's going to be a really good deal because um, I and I'm happy that we were able to get the price down so low because uh, the the initial pledge level is only thirty dollars and that includes shipping. And there's really you know it's a really big board. There's lots of stuff that comes with it. I think it's a really great deal, and I hope that people will see that. That sounds great. So you're thinking in the next couple of weeks to end of February. I think End of February, early March. That's what it looks like. Yeah, that's what it looks like. I'll probably see it on Twitter. If not, just send shoot me an email uh, when we're sure it goes on, and I'll make sure I'll yep. I share the link with our uh, Facebook and Twitter fans as well. 
Sure, I'll be sure to do that. Well, Philip, thanks for joining us. I know you've got to get going. It was great talking to you, and we look forward to seeing Family Vacation here very soon on Kickstarter. Good luck with the Kickstarter. Good luck. Great. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you guys having me on. Game Review! We're going to take a look at Hoplomachus from Chip Theory Games. What is Hoplomachus? Well, the kind of uh, background story on it is that the uh, there's these three lost cities um, <clears throat> have kind of appeared and showed themselves, and that would be Atlantis, Xanadu, and El Dorado. And uh, they've kind of made themselves known to the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire wants to kind of test them out and see what they're made of. So, uh, of course, they do that by hosting... Uh, Gladiator-style arena games. Are you not entertained? <laughs> so, basically, this is a kind of a tactical battle game, we call it, that can be played one to three players. I believe the expansion is going to take it to four, which would be just like a two versus two, I think, is their idea for the four. So you can play solo, you can play uh, two players versus each other, Two players cooperatively against the board, and three players cooperatively against the board as well. Yep. Going down our list, uh, components for this game, you get some really nice stuff. You get the, the rule book, a gaming mat, which uh, is the arena, which is actually uh, basically kind of a mouse pad kind of material. So it's a nice, thick gaming mat. You get uh, reference cards. You get customized six-sided dice um, and a couple normal six-sided, a red and a white six-sided. You get uh, some crowd favor counters, which are just like little gems. You get uh, three bags. You get uh, 100 red poker chip, poker-style chips, which are like health chips. You get a flip chip, which is like a heads or tails kind of thing. And then you get poker-style chips for each of the cities, which are going to have their champions or gladiators and some tactics that they can use. And then you'll get, there's also like some bosses and beasts and criminals uh, and crowd favor tokens. And all of these are poker chips and the, the bosses and the beasts and the criminals, those you tend to use. Those are the, when you're playing against the board. So that's kind of who you're fighting against in that aspect. And then the crowd favor rewards uh, kind of show up on the board and can be potentially added to your bag of chips. And I got this through the Kickstarter. So I also got some extra stuff and one of, one of which is an extra game mat. So we have another arena that we can play on. All the components are really well done for this game. I think, what do you think? I agree. The, the poker chips style game, you know, when I first saw the Kickstarter I was like, hey, I'm not keen on pog based games. But they're really well done. I mean, and the the stickers on the on the chips themselves are, are well adhered, which is and well centered, which is not always something you can say about sticker type uh, components. And the mats, I think those are really cool, both in terms of storage, because a you can roll them up, and b it was kind of given the number of stacks you've got going on, it was kind of required technology because yeah. you, you didn't want an accidental brush of the table to move your mat around and knock over all your towers. Right. 
And it makes yeah, it makes it very easy to slide your chips around and stuff as you're moving yep. it. Because basically, you're gonna have a chip on top uh, of a bunch of the red chips, which will be like your gladiator, and then whatever their health is, you'll have a stack of chips underneath it of the red chips to show uh, how wounded or how strong that that or how healthy that particular gladiator is or champion. Yep. So yeah, it works really nice because you know obviously you're on. This mat, and you're moving around the arena, so you're gonna have to move those stacks of chips around and and kind of maneuver around uh, your opponent's stacks of chips to get into different positions and stuff. And it works really nice on the mats. The mat, uh, I mean, the it's a solid game all the way around. These aren't the poker chips, aren't these light plastic type chips? You know, they're not cheap poker chips. They've got a good feel to them, good heft, good weight. Yeah, when your bag's full, I mean, <laughs> you could sap somebody with it. Yeah, just definitely uh, well done. I I applaud uh, Chip Theory Games for component. Uh, as far as componentry goes, my only concern is um, the longevity of the playmats. I mean, if anybody's ever had a a drink cooler or or as you say, a mouse pad, you know, constant use is gonna wear wear down some of that imagery yep. unless they've got some really cool high tech printing going on. So that's my only concern there. But, you know, if you've got a big game group and you're not getting the same game to the table every week, you know, that's uh, might not be as big an issue. But that that's the only gotcha there that I see. Well, that's not the only gotcha that we saw. My, minor. Well, that, very, that very was a minor. production error, though. No, 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 no. I'm talking about... Uh, oh, some okay. of us yes. Some of us have large fingers. Yes. <laughs> the bags that you put the chips in need to be larger. The game is not for newborns. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other than that, though, I mean, and that is so minor. I mean, it's not, it, it doesn't stop you from your enjoyment of the game, but, you know, between Jordan and I, we were two fingering it quite a bit, trying to get a token out of the little bag. But again, very minor. I mean, everything else is, is extreme quality in this game so far that, that we've seen. Um, very nice. The insert, the insert for the game holds everything really well. Um, with room for expansion. With room for expansion for maps uh, and some chips. They can't go too hard on the chips. That's my only concern, I guess, to see what happens with this next expansion. Mm -hmm. So, mechanics. There's some really decent mechanics going on here. I mean, there's there's definitely some strategy involved to playing the different cities. Overall... Everything you're getting is kind of the same in each for your regular gladiators and your tactics. Each person gets two archers, two tacticians, two defenders, and two basic attackers. And then four tactics. Of, yeah. And they're all kind of the same tactics. And your champions are fairly close, but your champions and your City gladiator, I think is what they call. I've been it. calling them heroes and yeah. gladiator or champion. I, I think they say. call them like the city champ, yeah. city city gladiator. They will have a special ability on them. Now, and that's where the three cities differ. Each of one has a different special ability. Atlantis had the Atlantis pole. pulls, Eldorado burns, and right. Xanadu pushes pushes. So your city gladiator can pull for Atlantis and for instance could pull from one hex away uh towards them where your 
Whereas champion, champion has range. Yeah, it has it can go like two or three, I believe it is. Up to two hexes and we're from three hexes away. So it can pull from up to three hexes away. And then so each one so basically each uh city gladiator has the normal ability and then the champion has the uber ability of the norm of of what the normal has. And like I said, uh El Dorado burns, which basically means that anything around anything around your city gladiator within one hex away from your city gladiator automatically takes a point of damage at the beginning of that gladiator's turn, mm-hmm. I think, or something like that. So then the uh champion No, it's not at the beginning of your turn. That's used in the movement phase. Because you can move oh, up and right. then yep. pocket. That's right. Um uh, and then the champion basically can go, I believe, up to two away. Yep. Yeah. So it uh Two up to two hexes away, uh, surrounding it can do damage. And then there are some crowd favor rewards, which is kind of interesting as well. Uh, basically, as you go along, I should here. Well, uh, let me just go down the uh, phases that we're going to run through. Uh, a typical round or turn is going to look like this. You're going to have uh, the crowd favor stones, which are specific spots on the. Uh, in the arena, if you control one of them at the beginning of your turn, you get one crowd favor point. If you control both of them on your turn, you get three crowd favor points. Now, you can also get some crowd favor points as the game goes along. If you take out other gladiators, you get point, you get favor points for that. The crowd starts to favor you because you're doing well in the arena and you're spilling blood. There's a track that's right on the mat uh, of the arena. That as you earn your crowd favor points, you start moving up. And there's four or five spots? Four spots. Okay, there's the gladiator. There's activate your champion. There's Act- activate your champion plus one yellow die. Yeah. I think there's four. And then, oh, uh, spawn on the other, spawn on the other side. Oh, activate open your up champion. Open up all the spawn zones. Get it or get an extra die. Yeah. Or somewhere in there. There's it an goes extra to die my flip. There. Yeah. And then you get an extra gladiator. So there's four four spots that you can earn these crowd favor. And each rewards. spot also has an extra tactic there too. Right. That's not core to yep. either faction. So what happens is as you move up, there's a permanent written ability that you can get. As you as soon as you hit it, you get that ability. But there's also a crowd favor chip that is sitting there. And what you basically do is as you unlock an ability, you take a look and go, okay, who's ahead right now? And whoever's behind will actually get that crowd favor chip. So if you just haul your way up the crowd favor and unlock everything so you your champion because your champion starts the game not even being able to move. So if you unlock your champion, you get to uh spawn on the on your opponent's side as well as your own side. You get the extra damage dice, and you get, well, we'll talk about that. If you get those three things, and you're the first one to do that, your opponent is going to get three slightly better chips than they have probably their regular tactics, because the first three are are tactics. So they're going to put those tactics in their bag and could potentially draw them on their turn. So... You're hauling butt, and then, and again, the crowd favor thing is it. It's not how you win. You win by basically killing your 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 opponent's champion. So, 
you're unlocking special abilities for yourself, but you're also giving special abilities to your opponent that they can potentially draw. So that's kind of nice because it, it kind of tries to help with that runaway factor. Of course, when you host me and I didn't draw a single <laughs> one of them, even though I had four. <laughs> so the first phase is checking out those crowd favor stones to see who controls what. And you also draw chips out of your bag. And you're going to draw back up to four. So you'll always have four face down in front of you, uh, or you should, that you can choose from. Now, if you ever get to the point where your bag is empty, and you, uh, if your bag is empty, at that point, uh, if you do not keep four chips in front of you, so if you decide to play one of those four chips that are laying on the mat in front of you in the deployment area, or in the pre-deployment area, planning area, whatever they call it. As soon as you play one and that spot stays empty, at the beginning of your turn, your champion starts taking two points of damage for, for each turn after that. So it's one of those things is like, I re- do you really need that tactic? Do you really need the extra gladiator? And if you do, then you need to make that rush to kind of start trying to win because you're going to start to start taking damage because of it. So that's another nice little thing. It's that, you know, you can go through your entire bag, but you're going to have to really, especially at the end, if you go that long, try to figure out, do I really need these? Yeah. Are these really going to see play? So again, it's that, you know, it's kind of like an, any other game that maybe takes one or two cards out of the deck. This doesn't take them out of the deck. It puts it in your possession, whether or not they come they come in or stay out mm-hmm. kind of thing. So that's kind of cool too. So then, so you do draw chips. And then you go into phase two, which is your unit deployment and tactics. And basically what you can do is you can play either a unit, a gladiator, or a tactic chip on your turn. Now to play a gladiator, you've got spawn points. And like we talked about, one of the things you can unlock is you can spawn on your opponent's side, but at the start of the game, you spawn in your own area. So you got to have an open spawn area. So you, you would spawn a gladiator in one of your open spawn areas. So to do that, you just basically flip over the chip because the four chips you have in front of you, only you know. They're face down. Your opponent doesn't know what four you've drawn. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. They go face down, but you're allowed to look at your chips at any time. Right. So if you decide to do a gladiator, flip the gladiator, hit your spawn point, get the red health chips, stack them up, you're good to go. If you decide to do a tactic, and tactics do different things like potentially heal somebody or uh, stun somebody, stun somebody, that kind of movement. Yeah. Yep. If you decide to use one of those, you get to pick any of your gladiators on the board to center it on. So everybody, one of their stats stats is basically a tactical range or I can't exactly right now. I can't remember what the tactics range. I think it's tactics range. So, and what that means is them being the center, that's how many hexes around them, you can potentially play that chip. You can always play a chip on that gladiator at zero range. But let's say you have a chip and it's a stun chip. Obviously, that's something you want to do against your opponent. You need to have a gladiator within tactical range to play that tactic. Otherwise, you just can't do it. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to keep in mind. You got to kind of watch your tactic range and where everybody's at. So you get to play either a gladiator or a tactic, and then you go to movement. Now, in movement, you have to move all of your gladiators that you want to move. They have a movement range as well. 
So you have to move all of your, now this is important. You have to move all of your gladiators you want to move. Movement and attack are separate. Mm -hmm. So all movement happens. So you've got to calculate that out. And uh, some of the abilities, like the pull ability, can be used during movement. So you can move, pull, and then move another it, one of your other gladiators and stuff. So you can kind of start maneuvering yourself and your opponent a little bit in your movement phase with abilities and stuff. But you got to get all of your movement out of the way. And why is this so important? Well, there are some things like uh, Whirlwind. Yes. Whirlwind is an ability that... You roll as many dice as you have op uh, opponents adjacent to you, and they all take that damage, which is yeah. a pretty sweet uh, attack if you can maneuver it properly. Mm -hmm. And then there's other things like some units uh, you can, you know, uh, give defense to, give extra or give attack extra attack to, I mean, or uh, absorb a blow yeah. from a, right. a unit you want to keep alive. Yeah. So you just you gotta you gotta work all that out while you're making your movement. So then once the movement phase is done, then you go into attack. So all of your gladiators that you can attack with will attack. Now, attack is they have certain dice that they can roll. And there's, uh, what is it, yellow, blue, and black Yeah, are the three main attack dice. Or blue and darker blue. <laughs> <laughs> and they all have different probabilities for hitting. So, like, yellow is the weakest. It's basically got two spots to hit. Mm -hmm. The blue has three spots, so you got a 50 50 because these are all D6s. And then black has, is it five? I believe it's five. Five or four? Five. So you, if you have black dice, you're more likely to hit. So your chip tells you how many dice you get, plus if you happen to have a tactic or something that gave you ability, or if you've unlocked the thing on the side that gives you an extra yellow. Well, you know, that's a good point. The chips are very well designed. That sticker goes in the middle, there's a border even around that. But they, they have very good layout on their chips. For something that small, they're very readable. Yeah. And part of that, too, is and they are small. If Even if you have problems reading it, they have released a printout that you can do that's larger that okay. you can see all of the details in, in case you are having problems with reading the chips. But you're right. The chips are really well done. Everything's explained really nicely. I mean, for the amount of information that's on there, and the back page of the rule book. Is it the back page or the second last page? There's a back glossary page, of, yep. yeah, all the abilities. Yep. The back page has the abilities. Again, you do your attack. Basically, take each gladiator one at a time. Point out who you're attacking. Roll your attack. Now, this is kind of important because you roll your attack, and there is no defense. There is no, okay, well, I'm going to roll my shields or anything like that. The closest you come to defense is you'll have a gladiator that can maybe absorb a blow for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, a hit is a hit, and you move on. So very simple, very direct combat, which if you're just kind of hearing and, and you're used to tactical war games, that might sound weird, but I think it actually works really well in this game, and it does keep the game moving along very nicely. I mean, it's a good-paced game. The closest, I don't know, an analysis paralysis or whatever you want to say, actually for for us is, was like movement. I mean, yep. you want to make sure everything lines up the way you're thinking in movement for the attack. Once you get into the attack, it's bam, 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 bam. All right, your turn. And it really is a matter of thinking, not just one turn, but you know, you, you do, especially with Atlantis and, uh, and Xanadu with the push and the pull. Yes. You do want to think you maybe two turns ahead on that because 
those are the two positioning ones. Eldorado is just pretty much burn. So mm-hmm. as long as you can get there, you're going to do damage. But the other two, they're a little bit more uh, subtle. So yeah, yeah. And they're they're a little they're a little more. Uh, so that's where you thought you were going to be. Yeah. Oh no 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 no. no. <laughs> Let me point out where you're really going to stand and take this beating. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it works out. It works out really nice. It's it ends up being a really nice quick game that you can flip over. You know, okay, I'm rolling this and this and this. Bam bam bam. Here's your hits. Take your chips away. You can easily quickly visually see what's going on on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, you I mean you could. You know, this is one of those games that'd be really good at, say, like a game day and stuff, because somebody can just kind of walk up and go, oh, yeah. That right. makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, champion's looking a little hurt there, you know, right? mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's very visually easy to see what is actually going on on the board, which is really nice. Cause it's also one of those things where, I mean, other than, okay, that's your champion, that's your city. Okay. It's who has the special abilities kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But even that isn't that bad. I mean, you, kind of get that but yeah since the core units for all three factions are the same as long as you know is that your archer okay then you know where the archer is or is that your defender yeah and once you've played a game like just really once well twice so you once if it's a three-player game so you can see all the faction special powers i mean yeah it's it's dead easy that way so again personally i think solid mechanics i think they did a really good job putting this game together and from a mechanic standpoint my only complaint is I think I would have liked to have seen more city gladiators because we both ran into it in the first game. I could only get out my basics. And in the second game, you were front loaded on your basics. But in the first game, you had out all your pullers and Mm -hmm. I had out all my burners in the second game. And it just seemed like it's a little bit, well, I'm not going to say unbalanced, but I think if you had more city gladiators, so that you had more, just just one more, you know, something to increase your chance of getting your actual powers to proc properly. I think that would uh, that would improve the game a little bit. But then again, we haven't played it in a three player game, and we haven't played it against the board either. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't have a lot of plays under our belt. I mean, we got enough to know how we think and what we like about this game, but we don't have like statistically. I've hardly ever had you know that kind of thing. You did bring up a good point, though. That, I mean, some people may not like this, but I, again, for the type of game it is, I think it, it makes sense and kind of works out. But there's the randomness of drawing out your out of your chips, so you're never 100% sure what you're going to get, but you always have four chips. Of course, you're playing one at a time, usually. That's a good point. You only get to so you're really kind of one only chip drawing a turn. one. Yeah. yeah. And then the last thing we kind of didn't talk about is uh, if you get all the way up, the crowd favor, the last chip that you get, you actually get. So each side gets their own, uh, which is a special gladiator. So as you're moving up, you know, you've been unlocking these permanent abilities, but you potentially been giving your opponent a chip. Once you get to the top of your, of your crowd favor track, there's a face down and all, all of the crowd favors are face down. So you don't know what your opponent is getting. Uh, it's going in their bag. You're not sure what they're, what kind of deal they've got. And there's more crowd favor tokens than you're going to use. So you pick them face down and put them out. So you don't know what's on either side. Uh, and some, some are being left out. Yeah. There's six crowd favors and like, I think there's eight tokens 
And then there's the two gladiator spots and three gladiator tokens. So there is a small element of randomization there. So when you get to the top, you're going to get a gladiator. Now you get that instead of that gladiator going in your bag, it goes in the back of your deployment area. So you can deploy it right away. So you basically get to unlock and play that one as soon as you want to play that one. All right. So you've got the randomness of pulling out of the bag. And of course you got the randomness, randomness of the dice rolls and combat. I mean, you know, we had more than one, ah, oh, you know, kind of moment again, which I think works mm-hmm. for what it is. It's a gladiator combat. I think it's an acceptable amount of randomness to me. Yep. So rules. I think the rules were pretty well done, pretty straightforward. I don't think we really had major issues. Uh, with anything, there's, uh, the phases are listed on the, the mat. The chips themselves tell you a lot of the story. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go really far. And once you get used to the, basically how the phases work, how your, you know, your four phases work, pretty much all you need is the reference guide on the back. You know, we didn't really open it up that much. Again, we didn't play the two of us versus the board or anything like that. So we didn't look into that stuff very much yet. But the back sheet, oh, what does this ability do? Okay, well. Yeah, the quick left on the back is really key. Like, because all the steps are laid out and all the mechanics in the steps are well laid out in the book. So like you said, once you recognize what the icons on your thing mean, it's really just learning the abilities and, and, it's uh that's very streamlined and very simple. Yeah, I, I like the rules. Uh there's also some videos online too um that you can watch. And I think that's the game first. videos online? I know, it's crazy, but Whoa. there's some good tutorial stuff on there that I, I watched. And I, there were some videos on different things like showing off the pull and uh and the push and stuff like that. So if you're kind of curious about how that stuff works and you don't quite just from reading through it, you're not quite sure. I mean there's there's some good videos to check out as well. Teachability, super easy, I think. Again, this was with good rules, pretty simple and solid mechanics, and the way things are laid out and the reference sheet on the back. I mean, we're up and running in no time. Yeah. I mean. Under 10 minutes, and that was trying to decide whether your chip was a print error or (laughs) whether everybody's chip should look like that. Yeah, Yeah, I got one bad chip, uh, which chip theory is already going to replace. So that was awesome. I will see them this weekend and they will replace it for me. So yeah, simple, easy to teach. Theme. Well, you can probably already kind of tell. I mean, with the theme works and fits well. I've heard a few people say that they kind of miss the the miniature part of it. I can maybe see that. I, I can understand that, especially if you are a miniatures player. But I don't think the chips take anything away from this game. I had a great time playing this game. I felt like we were duking it out in an arena. Putting minis in this game or or would change the game because then you'd need something else for your stats and whatnot. I mean, then you go into a click format or, you know, D&D minis cards or something. No. Thematically, it works, but I'm going to differ with you here a little bit. Okay. I mean, it's gladiator combat, and you've got all your chips that represent your gladiators. The theme works with the mechanics, or vice versa, however we want to say that. (laughs) But I'm just kind of, why Xanadu, why Atlantis, (laughs) and why Eldorado? I mean, if this had been, 
you know, the war tribes of Mars and then three other, you know, the lost civilizations of Pluto, Venus, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. That would make more sense than me to me because then it would be totally, you know, totally a sci-fi theme. Mm -hmm. But this taking the mythic into actual Rome, actual in air quotes there, you know, (laughs) it doesn't detract from the game, but it's just thematically I'm like, you know, it's once we got going, it's not like I felt, yes, I am El Dorado or, you know, <laughs> or when I was getting smacked around as Atlanta, I was, I was like, well, man, Atlanta sucks. It's like, you know, there was nothing there that made me go this other than El Dorado being like yellow and, you know, Atlantis is blue. Mm-hmm. There was nothing there that made me go. This is clearly El Dorado or this is clearly Xanadu or, you know, I was just like, yeah, you took real world names and I applaud them for that. I'm not ripping on them. But again, it was like, eh, could have been anything. Sorry, Michael. Could have been anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess. It doesn't take I, away I from the un- game. I can understand what you're saying because I don't think I really, other than knowing the backstory, I don't think I took it into consideration while we were playing it. I looked at it pretty much straight as we're in the arena, we're gladiators battling each other. And, and that I got the th- feeling from. I yep. got that theme. But you're right. I I didn't sit there and say for Atlantis, you know. <laughs> I I didn't do that and I didn't think of it that way. So from my perspective, I guess then, I mean the theme was fine across the board. But I'm I'll, leaving I'll but I'm leaving aspect. out a piece of their theme. The I fluff aspect the of the theme as opposed to just the straight up gladiator aspect of the theme. Yeah. Fair enough. I can live with that. So fun factor. Did you have fun playing this game? I did. Uh, you know, even though you waxed me pretty hard in the first game and then I returned the favor in the second, there's no, (laughs) I mean, you kind of got the frustration level, but that's the same frustration of any kind of random draw game, you know, whether it's magic or Netrunner or whatever. So that's, that's a given. If you can accept that there's going to be any kind of level of frustration in a game, then, then you know that. Yeah, there's a bit of a sense of kind of runaway, but. Even in the first game where I was getting totally whacked, and maybe it's just because we haven't had enough plays for me to realize, you know, there is a point where you can't come back. I just, I, I had the feeling the whole time of if I could just get one more guy out at the right time, I can turn this around. Yeah. I don't think in either game there was a sense of totally being eliminated on like turn two. No. And in our second game, especially because. I was pulling one or two of the crowd favor tokens that I got where you actually didn't see them. But yeah. I think I got mine late game too. So, but I mean, it was just the, all right, I can, I can do something here. Yeah. Kind of the feeling, which is great. So, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun with this too. I mean, we played it twice back to back. That's somewhat unusual for us sometimes. I want, I would say, mm-hmm. I mean, we're usually one and done and then we'll come back to it later. Uh, especially for review type stuff. Yeah, we, I wanted to get right back into it. Yeah, we we just set it up. We we just set it back up right away, and uh, played with the other city that that didn't get played the first time, and then randomized the second city, and we were just up and running and ready to go, and and had a lot of fun with it. And then you know if we would have had more time that night, you never know, we could have easily put in a third. I think we had. Yeah, a, I definitely want to do either a three player game or or at least a two player against the map. Yeah. You know, and I I did, I almost. Played it solo, but I didn't have time the weekend I was going to play it solo. So um, I'm still kind of interested in just checking that out. You should ask them when you're up there on the weekend how they think it would play 
if you did the mat as a fourth player or a third player. Because yeah. I, I assume that the beasties might be a little OP, but uh, assuming the randomness of just the dice roll for movement is going to mm-hmm. mitigate that. And if they think it would be a little bit too broken if a player actually managed them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. That's right. We did talk about that. So, yeah, there were a couple of things. I mean, again, great game. We loved it. Uh, there were a few things that we talked about. So that was one of the things that possibly, um, now as a fourth player, if the fourth player controlled the beasts and criminals, how that would work out. One of the other things I talked about was it would be kind of cool and maybe possibly something in the future when you've got more, but to kind of, again, as somebody that's been watching a whole lot of Spartacus <laughs> <laughs> and enjoying the show. If you could get a Lucy Lawless Pog, that would be there awesome. The one element that, that would be kind of cool for this, and and again, this is just a dream kind of thing, and it actually differs the game quite a bit probably, but to be able to, like say, like buy your gladiators or to pick your gladiators, you know, that kind of thing, or, you know, you are a Dominus and trying to put together your house and pit those against. But again, that's a different game. Gale Force 9 has that game <laughs> right, right now, right? I mean, they've got the Spartacus game, and, and a lot of in there is that you are buying your various slaves, including gladiators. And I haven't played that yet, so I'm not, like, jonesing for that in this game because I love that game. Um, I want to play it but I haven't played it yet. But while we were playing it, it just kind of came. I mean, you know, I I play Puzzle Strike, and we play a lot of deck builders and stuff like that. So just having the option of maybe switching out or or picking, okay, uh, here's your points. So now taking it to the miniatures level, (laughs) fill up your gladiator spots the way you want, throw them in the bag, and let loose kind of thing would be kind of interesting too, I think. So that is Hoplomachus from Chip Theory Games. One of the reasons why we were reviewing this is because this game is out and has been available for a while. And sometime, I believe they said they're doing it still in February here. Uh, so at some point, they are doing the expansion Kickstarter for Hoplomachus. Uh, so look forward to more details about that in the future here. And uh, maybe I can get a couple sound bites from them while I'm gone this weekend. Um, about what to expect in the expansion as well. It's time for the Brick Breakdown, where we're breaking down what's building up in the LEGO universe. This segment was made possible thanks to The Gamer's Grind. You can find it on Facebook.com by searching The Gamer's Grind. Also, special thanks goes out to The La Who for writing and performing the song for the intro, as well as Brotherwise Games, since the intro song is the official theme song for Boss Monster the Card Game. You can find Brotherwise at brotherwisegames.com, and you can find the Law Who at www.facebook.com forward slash the Who. L-A-O-H-U. Now, some brief introductions are in order. My name is William Reed. And I'm Sarah Reed. And we are mega Lego fans. Uh, we write uh, articles for the Brick Blogger, as well as uh, officers in our local user group, or local Lego user group. Uh, I'm the vice president. And I'm secretary. So, and we also have a modest uh, Lego collection 
And we typically say that so that uh, we don't seem like we have an addiction problem. Which we do. So, uh, that's our story. And this is time for the breakdown. Um, the topic for today is Lego board games. All right. So far, um, and when we mean Lego board games, we mean the newer games have been made since 2009 because all the Lego board games since 2009 have actually been made completely out of Lego. Any games in previous years, it would have some Lego parts, but for the most part, be your typical cardboard dice um, type of game. So since 2009, they've been making completely Lego board games. There have been 35 so far which does include the Happy Holidays exclusive, which was only given to certain employees. Uh, so in 2009, they came out with 10 games. In 2010, 9 games came out. In 2011, 10 came out. In 2012, only 5 games came out. And so far, for 2013, there's only been 4 confirmed, but they have not yet been released. Yeah, and some really um, big names in board gaming were actually uh, associated with this project. Yes, according to uh, Board Game Geek's uh, Lego Games family page, the Lego Games is a range of initially 10 games in three standard size boxes, which were developed under lead designer Cephas Howard. Consultants on the project as a whole include game theorists Bernie DeCoven and Reiner Kinesia, who also guest designed Lunar Command and Ramsey's Pyramid with Cephas. They mark the first concentrated effort to move into tabletop game industry by Lego, and like I said before, differ previously from published games and their standardized packaging and use of almost exclusively Lego pieces. However, they did develop a new Lego die specifically for these games. Yeah, the Lego die is really neat because it has this rubbery edging so that if you put tiles on it, which is mainly what they do, uh, they don't get all torn up by rolling the die around. And the rubber edging also helps it bounce around and ac actually uh, randomizes it. Yeah, it's it's fun to throw at people. Uh, we don't recommend that. But if you do, it's fun. All right. Um, so what we wanted to talk about, since there are so many games, is we wanted to talk about what our personal top um, three are, and we'll do also an honorable mention. So to start off with, our two top ones actually match in that we both chose the Harry Potter Hogwarts as our favorite game. Yeah, it's a game that actually um, involves a kind of a sliding puzzle mechanic. Uh, the board itself is made up into small little sections where you can pull out, slide things around, turn pieces, and in that process, it creates a very strategic game. It's very strategic, but also at the same time... Um, very, not random, but it, it's hard to really plan ahead in that game. And because you're trying to move around the board, it's just, you know, simulating Hogwarts, the moving staircases. And you've got to gather your ingredients for your homework. Or, yeah, that's right. Gather your homework. There's four pieces that you need. But to move around to the different classrooms, it's not always a straight line because the, the uh, board is shifting. And so you may be going straight towards the classroom, but somebody else moves it. So now you're in completely the wrong corner to get to where you need to go. Yeah, and the game goes up to four players, and as you can imagine, it uh, takes the uh, uh, each of the classes of mm -hmm. the, the group. Um, oh, right, the, the houses. houses. The houses. <laughs> it's been a while since we've seen Harry Potter, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, so you, everybody, there are the named characters as the little micro figures, um, but they're not used in the base game, but there's um, ways to uh, expand it. Um, 
Okay, I think we should probably move on. Yep. So your second was uh, Orient Bazaar. Yeah, that was a really neat, simple economic game. And, um, I mean, just seeing all the little tiles used as money is is fun. But it's a, a trading game where you're collecting light groups to earn more money, and the objective is to get to a certain amount of money. Yeah, it was also a, a very popular game. I mean, game for me, it's my third favorite. Um, I really do enjoy you're doing the different set collection, plus the pieces were brand new for the different bottles and or exotic things that you're trying to collect, and so that was a pretty novel thing. But yeah, collecting them, and then of course, building-wise, those two-by-two two round tiles were... Uh, really new because they were uh, they were in the pearl gold which is a very rare color so that was also really good for building yeah just love the economic factor it's so far the only one that really has an economic system yeah for the lego games so my second favorite is heroica now if you had to pick particular one out of the five released so far in the series i'd have to pick waldirk forest um it had the most unique pieces But the Heroica is an adventure board game, and the different modules can be played individually or put together to create a huge, massive adventure. And the really wonderful thing about it is it's really easy to modify. I mean, obviously, they're Lego games. You can modify any of them. But it's got such basic rules set up that you could build your own module and attach it and come up with new rules and uh, new challenges. So it's just the... um, customization of it is just is, is really unlimited in, in in the way that it's set up. Yeah, and it's basically a dungeon crawl. So if you're familiar with games like Descent, um, it's not going to be as complex. No. But it will be the same flavor. Yes, definitely. All right, so we already talked about my third favorite, which was Orient Bazaar, but yours, <laughs> Will, is City Alarm. Yeah, this one actually caught me off guard because we were... Uh, I, I mean, as it is, there are still a few games that we haven't played. Right. Just a handful. But um, City Alarm was the last one we played. Mm-hmm. And we found that uh, it it was just surprisingly uh, in... Uh, the gameplay. Yeah, the gameplay. It was very engaging. Now, it's, it's mostly meant to be a two-player game, but you can play it four-player with two teams. One person or one team plays the cops, and the other one plays the criminals. And you each have a different goal. Obviously, the criminals are trying to steal money, and the cops are trying to stop the criminals. Um, so that asymmetric play is really cool in the way the goals are, and it's just very engaging. As uh, I, The game we played, I played the criminals, so I'm just trying to move around, stay away from the cop, and Will's trying to you know, capture me and all of my little guys. Yeah, I, I think the thing that caught my attention was how they determine the movement because there's numbers one through six plus a train and all those pieces are turned face down and then you take turns picking them so you turn them face up and then once they're face up you can't use them until the last one's taken then they all get turned face down so later on you actually know what still um in the yeah. in the pile, right? So you can do a process of elimination of where it's safe to move. Now, the only thing is, I think this might have a slight advantage for the criminals because there were times where I made a strategic point in moving a person I didn't necessarily want to move, but I wanted to move him so that you didn't have the chance of uh, capturing him. But I think it's a very unique way to determine movement because most of the time in the Lego games you roll the dice that moves you, but in this one the dice actually determines. Um, for the robbers, whether they manage to steal or not steal, um, and whether the cops can move the helicopter. Right. So and was, the ultimate goal of the game is the robbers have to steal 
10 little money pieces. Mm -hmm. And for the cops, they have to, well, capture all the criminals. And I think there's four criminals. Yeah. All right. So we've gone to the top three. So honorable mentions. Uh, let's start with yours, Will. It's The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Yeah, this one was originally slated from what it looks like. Uh, I believe uh, it was supposed to be Maya Mystica. Mm-hmm. And then that was canceled. And instead we got, um, well, A Hobbit, Hobbit. On Unexpected Journey. And uh, it, it's themed really well. I mean, you go around the, the Shire and try to find the dwarfs uh, by lifting up tiles from the little hobbit holes. Yeah, so it's a memory game. Yeah, so it's it's like concentration, and then there's variance to make it more or less difficult. Right. And, of course, when you pull up things, you get food, and you get dwarves, and you get... Um, I'm trying to remember the other one. Yeah, there, there's like a, a couple of other uh, options. You can find little hobbit heads, mm-hmm. and, and then each of those will actually create like a a, a, a different spin on the memory game. Um uh, allowing for some, uh, like, uh, say the Hobbit head, you pull it up, and then you can look at another piece and keep it secret. Yeah. So then you have some secret information that the other player doesn't right. have. You don't get to collect, but you get to see. So there, there's some, and it's really neat because one of the micro figures is actually Gandalf, so you can actually play as him, whereas some of the other games like Harry Potter, you don't actually play as the named characters. They're there as a, a mechanic or assistance in the game. Yeah, plus the board can actually hinge around to actually make different shapes and layouts, for the Shire. Yeah. All right, my honorable mention is Atlantis Treasure. Now, Atlantis uh, was one of the themes um, that LEGO came out with last year where I was hoping I'd really like the theme, but it turned out not to quite be the mythical, mytho- you know, it wasn't the mythology that we're all kind of familiar with. It came out with a lot of... Uh, sci-fi elements. It was more sci-fi. sci-fi with a lot of creatures that uh, are humanoid, but they're like shark heads and, and all these different fish heads and, and octopuses and stuff. But anyways, they did come out with a board game for it. And this one was actually really, I don't know, surprisingly good in the way it uh, you move around the board. Um, yeah, this one was a programming game. Yeah. So very much like the Robo Rally right. style where you decide which way it goes and then you put um, little directional... Yeah. Uh, choices to change it up and then block other players with seaweed and coral. Right. And, um, yeah, ultimately you have to collect uh, the certain number of gems mm-hmm. to, well, find the treasure of Atlantis. Yeah, and this one actually did have the, I don't know, the king of Atlantis kind of in the middle as a golden statue. So that kind of did tie in some of the mythologies. But overall, it was, it was a very surprisingly um, fun game. Well, that's our uh, list and our honorable mentions. Um, if you find yourself interested in joining the uh, Lego fan culture, uh, we recommend checking out some of the conventions that may be in your area. All right. For, so for the next few months, let's see, in March, we have a Bricks Cascade in Portland, Oregon, March 9th and 10th. Brickworld Indy, Indianapolis, Indiana, also on March 9th and 10th. Brick Fair New England is actually in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, that's May 11th and 12th. Brick World Chicago is being held in Schaumburg, Illinois, June 15th and 16th. Now, in most of those conventions, uh, there is going to be a Lego representative. Um, and he's the coolest guy. Yeah, he's cool. Kevin Hinkle. Uh, he usually brings interesting guests like designers mm-hmm. or other members of the Lego family 
that deal with, you know, specialized projects. Uh, he also tends to bring a uh, set to reveal. Yeah, to, to models. Yeah. Um, the most recent convention that happened was a, a brick fair in Alabama, and he actually displayed the new um, uh, Palace Cinema. Ah, uh, yes, the new modular building. Yeah, and, and that's always big for mm -hmm. uh, especially adult fans. All right, uh, then I'm just going to leave you with a few more things to look at, and we're going to have all these in the show notes, hopefully. Um, if you want to check out more of Will's um, articles, they are on Sweet 101. If you want to get in hold of me, I'm on Twitter quite a bit, and you can find me, uh, EuroGamerGirl, and I talk about Lego and board games. Um, we I've also created a Brick Breakdown Guide to Lego Games where you can see all our comments and reviews, and that's on Board Game Geeks. It's a geek list. And then, of course, last but not least, there's the Brick Blogger at thebrickblogger.com. Yeah, and the Brick Blogger is big on lots of news. So if you want to know, well, anything that's yeah. recently happening, um, the Brick Blogger is a great place to go. Yep. So that's it for us here at the Brick Breakdown. Yep. Thanks for listening. This is Sarah. And I'm Will. And have a Lego-tastic day. Now hit the bricks. Right, what we're watching. Michael, have you been able to watch anything? Oh, I watched the Walking Dead premiere. What? Um, that was good. Watched a lot of Game Show Network in the middle of the night, too, when they're <laughs> in the hospital, because that was like the, the only thing that was on at like 2 a.m. or something. Big bucks, big bucks, no whammy. Stop! <laughs> no, a lot of, lot of Family Feud. Lots of, <laughs> lots of Steve Harvey. Lots of Family Feud. Oh, that's too bad. But I know the Walking Dead. Basically, uh, the only thing I've watched really too much that's new geek-related thing. Um, and I thought it was a pretty good opening. That was a good episode. Hit the numbers again. It's like their biggest opening. It was almost like, what, two or three million over last year's mid-season, if I remember right. <clears throat> I think it's a, a total between all three showings. I think it was, what, over almost 17 million? Total? I don't know the numbers. Something like that. Oh. So I watched The Talking Dead afterwards too. An hour? I know, an hour long. It, it almost did seem a little long at an hour. Yeah, I didn't think so at all. I I still liked it, enjoyed it, but <laughs> you it, need an hour for Kevin Smith. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. But just I think because you know I was so used to the old one, it was kind of so rushed. Yeah, <laughs> talking balls. Exactly. Yeah. But no, it was good. I enjoyed The Talking Dead afterwards as well. So yeah, they changed the uh, subway. Obviously, isn't sponsoring the second half <laughs> so we don't get the fresh facts it was what inside dead or something like that i forgot yeah <laughs> is that because of the airing that the commercial like directly after that gory thing or something or there was that awkward thing last season where it was like they had some something happened and then like it immediately went into like a commercial a subway commercial like and it, it was just a really awkward transition between like this really gory terrible thing and then like are you hungry for more or something? I don't know where it was. It's terrible, though. 13 dying car accident. But on lighter news, Bobo the Clown is coming to town. The worst subway advertising was uh, in Chuck. It just got to be so ridiculous. <laughs> you guys watch those where it would just be like, they just walk in and be like, oh, did you get the new subway chicken club 
flatbread sandwich. Oh yeah, they're delicious, and you, I got all my favorite toppings. Or you know, it was, it was just like, I was like, seriously, this is in the show. I mean, I know Subway saved them from like being canceled, but it was well, t- Toyota was has so... the same thing with Bones. I, I stopped oh. watching Bones not because of this, but like for for an entire season, the woman that had just had a baby, there'd be at least one two minute scene where they're in their to- Toyota Sienna. No, it's really great because I have this backup camera, so I, even if the baby's screaming, I can still see what I'm doing kind of a thing. <laughs> nice. you know? Yeah, it's just like just terrible product placement. So, <laughs> But anyways, that's mostly... Uh, oh, a new Touchpoint. Oh, I got a chance to watch the mm-hmm. first episode of that, too. Is pretty, and The Burn is back now, too. So I've been watching those on Comedy Central. I like both of those quite a bit. Jeff Ross is The Burn and mm-hmm. Touchpoint. Oh, let's see. Yeah, I watched The Walking Dead and Talking Dead as well. Spartacus is back, final season. Uh, so I've been watching that. You guys been checking out Learning Town at all? No. On um, Geek and Sundry? No. I've been, I've been watching them. They're up to like four, I think. The fourth one released today. I just can't decide. <laughs> if I, I mean, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but now I'm just kind of, okay. I'll, I'll keep waiting for about it. it. Keep waiting. It's the Paul and Storm take over like a kids the the original guy uh croaked and they take try to take over the show and it's got like puppets and stuff and mm. um but it's you know i don't know i keep i keep waiting for it to just go right it's like okay i've had now now four episodes of kind of build up and it's just you know other than anywhere. tabletop i've kind of lost all interest in most of what they put up i watch the occasional flog when she puts up the occasional flog yeah. if it's something that grabs me but like the last it's like one written by a kid pad tie so i mean I don't yeah care. i've missed a few of the written by kids i keep there was one that i think elvira was on the one uh last week or a couple weeks ago or whatever it was uh i did go see warm bodies I don't know if you guys saw oh, that. It's out now, huh? That's been out. Right? You know my stance on that. Yeah, Jordan. Don't keep looking at me. <laughs> Remember, Jordan, Jordan? <laughs> read a book and, that was read, read a book that had nothing to do. But with this movie? it was terrible, so the movie has to be terrible. <laughs> Not or? at all. I said I think it looks terrible and I have no interest in seeing it. <laughs> well, what did I you think, Jeff? To a book. I thought it wasn't that bad. It was that sounds like a there's a ringing well, endorsement well no it was it it was it was decent it wasn't it's not a straight out straight out comedy kind of thing it's more it's a little slower than i was expecting but yeah i enjoyed it megan really liked it yeah it's it's fine i i think it's a, a decent movie it just took me a little bit by surprise that i i thought it was going to be a little more mm-hmm. comedic all the time or whatever and it wasn't. And of course, last weekend we went and watched the Book of Mormon. Yes, highly recommend it. Jordan? Well, if they do it at Riverland sometime, maybe I'll get a chance to see it. <laughs> Give me a chance. All right, Four or five then. years from now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on top of all the usual stuff that's on my schedule, I also watched uh, the second half premiere of Walking Dead. Apparently, I'm in the minority. I didn't really think it was all that awesome. <laughs> Wow, awesome. really? No. Jordan in the minority? Jordan not liking things that other people do? What? Well, Shut it's, up! It's not bad. <laughs> I just think, as far as placement goes, it would have been a better wrap-up to last year. Because this was clearly a bridge app, but with the layoff from the first half, not last year, the first half of the season, 
with the layoff from the first half to what's obviously going to be the confrontation for the second half, this just kind of felt like, to me anyway, it was just kind of a badly placed middle puzzle piece. You know, I was like, we have to do this so we can have a bridge, but eh. And I, yeah, well, whatever. If we do a point <laughs> five on the whole season, I can go into detail, but. I there think Rick was really poorly portrayed in this. I think they wrote him. Yeah, especially the ending part. Well, that, yeah, that, right, you know, the first 40 minutes, he was his normal self. But then right at the end, I'm like, eh. Yeah. And it wasn't the deviation from the comic that bothered me. Uh, it was just, yeah. this was poorly, poorly put together to my mind. Yeah, I don't, yeah, the whole, yeah, we shouldn't talk about it probably <laughs> to the spoilers or whatever. But that ending part was really bad, actually, I think, so. And the way he just killed Carl like that. I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> Earth. And then Sarah and I blew through all three seasons and the movie of Inbetweeners. And, uh, friends. friends. <laughs> it doesn't get, you know, it's just not, it's never bad. Uh, the movie, you know, a little bit of drop off from the TV series, but you can't stretch yeah. something like that into 90 minutes, but they did a good job. But yeah, we, we enjoyed that. Much laughter. Sarah was very both disgusted at the show, you know, Jay, and then self-disgusted by the fact that she was laughing at all the stuff anyway. <laughs> and then uh, I'm dipping my foot in the anime side again a little bit here, and I've watched the first couple eps of Black Lagoon, which uh, is just kind of a standard uh, guy in the wrong place at the wrong time and then becomes the criminal hero, hero criminal. He's just kind of standard wage slave that's transporting a very sensitive document and then gets kidnapped so that the bounty hunters or whatever they are, mercenaries, can can have the document for their client. And then uh, his company refuses to pay the kidnap insurance and just leaves him to die. So that's his snapping moment, as I'm sure it would be for many. <laughs> and he, he then signs on with the bounty hunters. And that's uh, not bounty hunters, the mercenaries. And that's where I'm at after two apps. It's, uh, it's nothing spectacular, but it's enjoyable. That's my new stuff. That's my stuff out of the norm. So what we're reading. Jordan. I finished Last Argument of Kings. And I will say, Jeff, that you need to go reread this since <laughs> you have started it and stopped. Put down whatever else and go to it. Well, and yeah, we'll, well Michael, to, we'll too, get to that. But anybody that has shown any vague interest in my f other musings and meanderings about this series, you need to go read this and read it quickly because <laughs> the first two books are excellent. And then the third book is just stellar. It completes everything from the first two books in the first half of the book. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, I was like, but you've just wrapped everything up and there's still half a book to go. And then what he does in the last half of the book is just spectacular. It's I unabashed gushing about the end of this book. I have nothing bad to say, which I'm sure both of my co-hosts here will say is <laughs> a rare, rare first. thing. <laughs> and the prize you win this weekend. So, yeah, go check it out because it is a really good series and the ending is kick-ass. I totally agree with Everything that this dude did. Joe Abercrombie. The first <laughs> law trilogy. So are you going to go try Besser, Cold, and, and uh, some of the other books? Eventually, but they're not high in my priority because okay. they're not a direct continuation. Some of the characters, as I understand it, 
kind of worm their way back in, yeah. but it is the, uh, it's not a direct continuation of the story. No, it's just, yeah, there's just, you'll recognize characters and they, yeah. they tell you if you're going to read some of those to read the trilogy first, mm-hmm. that way you, you know, when the characters come in or what happened to them, that right. kind of stuff. And then, um, after that, I started reading, uh, The Death Cure by James Dashner, the third book in the, uh, the Maze Runner series. I don't know. I'm about 35% through that. And it's more of the same, just rampant paranoia and flimsy storytelling, but it's enjoyable. All the mains are still there. We may or may not be getting to any kind of real resolution. You know, well, you know, I've bitched about him before and how it's, he's even worse than JJ Abrams and just hiding stuff and then doing really poor reveals. But the characters are sufficiently interesting and the progress is is good. So, I I mean, I'm enjoying it despite the fact that I just actually kind of sounded like I dumped on it. But I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) There's the George Nudo. (laughs) Oh, well, then there's going to be more. On the listening (laughs) side, I read, I should say, I finished listening to the first book of the Demon Wars saga, The Demon Awakes by R.A. Salvatore. And I remembered now why I stopped reading his books. Sorry. I tried. I mean, I went through it because it was just listening and I... Didn't actually have to actively do anything, but no, I, sorry. I, he's a best-selling author, so he's clearly doing something better than I am, but no. It's because he wrote the Drift series, everyone just. <laughs> that is it. That is all he's done. And this is just the same story, only with different characters. Human Ranger instead of a dark elf. He's trained by elves, though, <laughs> and he is the ultimate human warrior. He has a horse instead of a panther. Uh, he's got a centaur instead of a dwarf. I was like, come on, Salvatore. This is just, you know, Icewind Dale trilogy set in your own world. <laughs> I mean, there were a couple interesting details on how their magic works and stuff like that. But uh, I'm like, no. I still I, say nobody writes a fight scene like he does, though. I will disagree with you. It's based solely on this book. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was the reader. <laughs> And after, and if you want to disagree with Jordan, <laughs> you can get a free book at Audible.com <laughs> to to judge for yourself. And after I painted my way through Demon Awakes, uh, Awakens, I'm sorry, I am now on to Rise of Empire, the third book in the uh, Raya Revolutions by Michael J. Sullivan, and I'm enjoying that as uh, much as I did the first two. It's a continuation of all the main characters uh, that were in the first two books. It's uh, set shortly, well, I don't know quite how long, I don't think they defined it, but it's after the events of the first book. The new empire that they're trying to build is going through some problems politically and financially, and all the supposedly bad guys are doing, you know, bad guy things, and the good guys are doing good guy things, and things are progressing, and uh, new characters are being left carefully neutral at this point, so you don't quite know where they're going. I'm enjoying it. I mean, I really like the first two books, and uh, this one, more of the same. So, yeah, I would say give that one a shot. I like Demon Awakens by R.A. Salvador. <laughs> Wound meat salt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the new uh, Warriors of Chaos book for Warhammer Fantasy came out on Feb 2nd, so I've been paging through that, looking at... Uh, monsters and some of the fluff and some pretty nice artwork overall and uh just been retweaking my army now that they've changed half of what i had <laughs> but yeah so that's that's a fun read too yeah i read through a good chunk of that the night you left out of my house so <laughs> that's really all i got on the reading okay michael 
Uh, I'm reading through the H.P. Lovecraft uh, complete fiction. So, so far, I think the standout uh, story or the series of stories is the Herbert West ser- uh, like series of really good. The reanimator, stuff, reanimator yeah. stuff. Yep, that's been my my favorite so far. Want to borrow the movies? <laughs> oh yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's mostly what I've been reading then. So, I have not been reading. <laughs> I just haven't. Unless you want to count game rules. Yeah. I've been reading some real books, but I just, uh, I don't know. Kind of got into a space where I don't want to read. I don't want to go through something right now for some reason. So I was reading Zombie Fallout 1, but once again, I'm just kind of, and it had nothing to do with the book itself. I just kind of got in a mood. I started playing that Royal Revolt and then I started doing that at night. And then I just kind of got away from reading at night for a little bit. I am thinking about doing the uh, uh, digital comic, so trying to catch a couple of those things. Although I looked, I looked at some of that last night, and like the newer side, it's the same price as oh yeah, a physical copy. Yeah, you got to wait for sales if you're going to uh, go strictly digital. Eventually, DC through their own venue puts their stuff down sometimes to as yeah, low as ninety nine cents. Marvel, I think, is exclusive through Comixology. Although I think with their AR stuff, they have some of their own content hosted themselves. Their prices don't come down nearly as often. And I don't know if Comixology has any of the other stuff like Image or Dark Horse or whatnot. Yeah, Dark Horse has their own app. I did see that because that's one I, I didn't download it, though. I did Comixology. And uh, they do have a series that I, the last one of the last series I was collecting before I had to stop. But it's like the full run in the uh, omnibus form. So they're clumped together. Oh, is like it's still like a hundred bucks to get the whole run of uh the boys oh yeah i want to finish reading that though well it just finished so just no it's that's been gone for a while well relative terms i mean like within (laughs) the years no it's been more than a year no less than a year i don't know about that i do (laughs) geek off you know, no! if, if you liked... Uh... You shall not pass! <laughs> Look, the thing is, you see... um Jordan, you're wrong. <laughs> Actually, it was in episode three, section four, 50 minutes in... No, you guys, you're just totally wrong! <laughs> Uh, if you like, uh, if you like the boys and you're keen on Garthinus, uh, then you really need to go do the preacher. Cause that yeah, I do. Is you're freaking right. awesome. And I have all those trades, so... You know what I love about you know what I really love about the boys is that uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> jiggling them I don't know <laughs> that fresh feeling after you've shaved what I don't know uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> how uh, who had it first before dynamite had it Did oh that was DC DC yeah. that's what I thought yeah that they were stupid enough to pick up the series not realizing it was Garthinus. Well, A, Garthinus, and B, I got to think any kind of prospectus he put out was, I'm going to trash every Marvel yeah. and DC hero. <laughs> and it went it went like six up, six, 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 uh, six issues, yeah. Six issues, and like, yep, oh, nope, got to go. Yep. My first arc, is, my, my second arc is going to be to rip on the Justice League. My third arc is going to be to rip on the X-Men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to I wanna finish reading that, but that's kind of spendy right now. I can't remember exactly where I left off either. I don't know if I could skip the first omnibus or not. I don't know if I made it all the way through. Omnibus. 
So there I was, and then I was Omnibus. And <laughs> <laughs> the hell, man. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it when you ask for it. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, unfortunately, I'm not really reading anything right now. Uh, there is an opportunity for me then to drop off and maybe start up again. If I can get in the mind frame of reading through a series again, I have to try. I do want to read that, though. And it is, I do have it on my Kindle. Well, there, all you got to do is turn it on and select it. Yeah. It stays on the page there, you know, when you turn it off. (laughs) Lord. Well, you could get the audio book then and just listen to it as you sit there and do nothing. (laughs) Oh, my ears will be doing stuff. Well, that'd be a good way for you to take up painting miniatures. Oh, Jordan. Yeah, that'll never happen. Oh, I don't know. Never. <laughs> Unless I can just go, oh, he's, it's a massacre. I'm going to just dip them all in red paint. <laughs> hey, Lay them down sideways. Drop Zone Commander is a 10 millimeter <laughs> scale game. So literally that is what you can do with the infantry. Just dip them in one color and highlight them another and you're done. I played oh, the so army you, one time. There you went. You went with that whole highlight thing. Okay. I said, dip that bastard in paint and done. <laughs> I played a Skaven army one time. He said it was undead Skaven. He just like spray painted them all like a light blue color or like a like a medium blue color. And then I think he took like he had them just all light like stuck on a board or something. I think he took like a big like house painting paintbrush and just like dry brushed a, like a lighter whitish light blue just across the top of them. That's nice. what his army was. Seriously, like yeah, all everything. Was, that still sounds like too much effort to me. <laughs> that is uh, that is pretty much your. That, no, no, no. See, I'm back out. <laughs> dipping them one by one sounds like more effort than that. He just, like, stuck them all on a board, sprayed them, and then went... Fuck, fuck, fuck. What we're playing! <laughs> <laughs> Michael! <laughs> well, uh, on Sunday, Jordan and I got in a game of Warhammer. I rocked to death. One thousand point game. That was good. It was a solid game. It could have. It could have went either way. Uh, I got real aggressive though because he gave me the flank of his hex race, and I thought, well, I got a shot at taking him out that way since I didn't have a magic missile or anything, and I could have easily won or lost the game there. And I kind of almost won it just with that, but then I didn't quite kill them all, and so he was able to sandwich that unit, and I lost that unit, which was a big part of my army, but. My chaff yeah, that was, was a able sandwich. To... That was a taco. I had you on three sides. But I had a lot of good chaff running around to uh, continue picking off things. So, yeah, that was it was solid. It was a good game. And then last Thursday we played Netrunner and uh, Love Letter. Love, Love Letter. Letter. Yeah. So it was nice to get some board games back in again. Uh, Anthony, no, it's not really the worst game ever. Yes. <laughs> Just for you. But, uh, Previous to going to the hospital, I had picked up a PlayStation Vita and uh, Persona 4. So Persona 4 came out, and it made me, I figured, you know, I'm going to be spending at least some time in the hospital here coming up. So I'd uh, invest in the, a Vita so I could play Persona 4. And so I did get numerous hours of Persona 4 in. It's good that you're the one American that bought it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. The system is really nice. I like it a lot. Yeah, I actually almost bought one. The the problem is there aren't really any games to play. Like besides Persona, that's I mean that's the reason I bought it was for Persona. That 
So, I mean, yeah, I bought like a $300 game there to get <laughs> $350 game. So, but I mean, that it's got, I mean, I used uh, Netflix a little bit on it when we were in the hospital too and the internet browser and stuff. It, it's, it's a nice, it's a very nice machine. The battery life seems really good on it. I was, I was actually surprised yeah. at how good the battery life is. It, it goes a long time. Well, yeah, because you don't do anything with it. Yeah, no, no, I was using it pretty hardcore. So this will be on standby for two months without a charge. So I was impressed with that. And then, um, since the middle of December, I hadn't played my 3DS, but then, uh, Fire Emblem Awakening came out last week or the before. I don't know where I know. So I picked up that. So I've been playing that now too, but I've still been playing Persona 4 some too. So I'm kind of going back and forth, but so that's uh, at that price point, you're kind of obligated to. That's I right. mean, like, play it twice or something, you know? Oh, no, yeah. Well, Persona 4, though, probably the amount of hours I've put into it now, I'm probably down into the, you know, just a few dollars an hour. Uh, <laughs> so, I've, I know I've I've got over 100 hours into it, I'm guessing, by now. So, so yeah, that's what I've been playing. Jordan? Uh, much of the same as Michael. I had a uh, less than stellar showing of by the Vampire Counts in our 1,000-point game. <laughs> but it was still a fun game. It was two turns, yeah, and uh, <laughs> maybe forty dice were thrown, and then I quit. You know, <laughs> between us, you know. <laughs> well, I threw I threw twenty four shots just that year, or no, it wasn't. No, it was forty. <laughs> oh, that's right. That I, the I archery turn. I threw yeah. forty four shots that year, terror guys, in one, you know, one shooting phase. And you needed all six of them. <laughs> um, and then again, like you said, we got in some Netrunner and Love Letter, which uh, you know, tough. That's a fun little game, you know, for what it is. Stupid handmaiden. Um, worst card ever. Worst card ever. <laughs> uh, and then we also played a little bit of the Star Wars LCG, and I'm liking that. Uh, liking that to the extent that I've already ordered the first three expansions. Uh, and although they Sweet. now have a fourth Big one, well, you know, at ten bucks, whatever. Uh, although they have a fourth one already announced, I'm like Fantasy Flight. Come on, my pockets are not empty or not endless. My pockets are empty. Right. Damn it. So they are monthly. Well, yes, but <laughs> that doesn't mean I actually want to have to buy it every month. Well, they are monthly. I know. <laughs> no one's forcing you to purchase them. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> Cardboard crack, you know it. I got in some uh, Blood Bowl team manager with my brother uh, on Vassal last night. That was a really good game. We were at 31 points each, and then the Vassal communication server took a dump. And I was about to, I was about to win the game too. Sure, you were. I was. I'm sure your brother just said the same thing. No, it's, <laughs> well, he might, but realistically, I had already eliminated one of his players, and I the server took a dump just as I rolled for the second tackle to eliminate one of his other players that was already down. So I was gonna have, unless he had like one of the big brutish free agents, I had numbers, and uh, so unless all the cheating went totally against me, I was pretty sure I was gonna win. You know, I counted as a win in my head. He counts it as a tie. Just because we had the same number. I don't know how that works. Uh, that was fun. I really enjoyed that game. And they've got an expansion for that coming out this quarter, I think. That I'll probably pick up. Stupid fantasy play. It's cardboard. <laughs> and I mentioned it earlier. Drop Zone Commander. I'm not playing it, but it interests me. And I've been watching a lot of the videos, you know, bat reps and reviews and stuff. And that is uh, a game that I'm kind of keen on. Because like I said, I'm interested in finding a good sci-fi game. So if any of our listeners are playing that, drop a comment. Let us know. Let me know how it is, because that's something I'm interested in. What's that again? Drop Zone Commander. Drop Zone Commander. That's it. All right. Uh, let's see. Some good uh, crossover here. 
Android Netrunner. We played with Michael, and then Jordan and I got in a few games of that earlier. Star Wars LCG. Played a bit of that. Plague the Card Game. Played a little bit of that. Love Letter. Stupid uh, handmaiden. <laughs> stupid handmaiden. Article 27. We got to play that. Jordan came over, and we got to play it with Sarah and Megan a couple times. That was pretty good. I don't, yep. think, I don't think Megan will fall for your tricks anymore. It wasn't it, a trick. I gave her a dollar. She banged the gavel. Right when she got the gavel. Put like one or two things like, I will give you, I'll give you an influence point right now if you, the thing I did, except <laughs> for I let everybody do some bargaining first. He did it right away. I just like, oh, Megan, you just screwed yourself out of a lot of points. It was totally Second game benefit. though. Second I, game yeah. though. She, she took it. That's right. She worked us all. <laughs> uh, we played some Hoplomachus and. Again, I'm playing uh, Royal Revolt, which is like a reverse uh, tower defense game, which is awesome. It's taking a lot of my time. And I've been playing on a fair bit of Temple Run 2. Yeah, I've been on to that too. So I think for the most part, I like it. For the most part, I do. There's a few things that I'm not keen on, and there's still some glitchy things I think they need to work out. Like once I did a jump, landed on the other side, then went through, <laughs> and ended my game. It's like, mm, Every now and then right. when I jump. See, I don't know if they got... See, they don't. They don't. You tweak tweak your sensitivity on anything. Right. So every now and then, when I jump, just the way I jump, I'll also leap to the left. Yes. Because I'm playing it with my right thumb. Uh, so it's like. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I don't know. Maybe again. Maybe it's gyroscope. Maybe it's just the Galaxy S2 versus anybody else's phone. I really got to tilt it a long way yes. to get them to move left or right. Yes. I, I just think they really need to do some more tweaking on. Yeah. It. Or like you said, allow you to adjust your own sensitivity. They also got the weird, like, a lot of times you don't see the power-ups until you're on top of them, yes, and then you jump. Yeah. Yeah, then by the time you do that, it's too late to jump to get them. Or they're right around the corner. Or they're on top of a hill, and you try to jump at the bottom of the hill, and they got that weird... Yeah, you, can't you ba- made you it, can- but you didn't. Yeah, yeah, you can't make a jump that close to the hill kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah, there's there's a few things. One of the other things I don't, I don't like is the uh, objective stuff. Yeah. Or you can only work on the three that it's showing you. Yeah. So I've had some stuff pop up that I just completed, but because it wasn't in the in that three, yep. I had to do it again. That I don't like either. Because in the old one, you they had you had the whole list, and no matter when you completed it, you completed it. The one time, the one thing that really <laughs> bothers me, and this it actually does bother me, is the way they they do their texturing or whatever. When you get to the T's where you can fall off the yes, edge yeah. and they have something behind it. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm looking at the I've map. I've done that a couple times. And I'm like, am I going to go left or right? But then I wait a second too long and it's just, oh, you know, am I going to go left or right or straight? And then, well, there's no straight. Yeah. But you put something behind it to make me think there's a straight, yeah. bastards. So yeah, I've been playing a lot of that. Overall, though, yes, I, I have enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. I like I do like some of the things that they did change. I like the curvies, you know, I'm fairly keen on the mineshaft, kind of Indiana Jonesy thing. And, you know, I like, uh, well, you know, other than the small details there, I like everything I like the else. power up stuff too. Uh, yeah. I like that the that's power up actually does something now. Mm-hmm. All right. But that's all I've been playing. I'm Jeff King. I'm Michael Jordan. And I am the Space Marine. Thanks for listening. I've got a hundred thousand comics carefully collected, and all the action figures for them carefully selected. The posters and promotions for each superhero movie. My ringtone's Frank Burter and Ash saying, I've got each permutation of the Xbox and PlayStation. My anime collection is the finest in the nation.